This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Ian Lane is currently coaching with the San Jose Earthquakes Pre-Academy. And what you are about to hear is a conversation with Ian where him and I go through and talk about one of his most recent training sessions. But this isn't anything new for us. We've been jumping on the phone and Skype for years to discuss session plans, review game footage, and just brainstorm ideas for what we think would work best for our players. Ian is someone that I have coached and someone that I have coached with. And I've been able to see him go from having an absolute mess of a training session to being one of the absolute best young coaches that I have ever worked with. And this isn't by accident. Ian has dedicated his life to coaching soccer. So it was no surprise to me when San Jose Earthquakes Academy director, Paul Holliker, called Ian up and offered him a job. It was absolutely deserved, but Ian knows that there is a lot of hard work ahead of him in order to achieve his goals, which are lofty goals, but I think he's on the right path to them. And I am calling this episode part two of a series of conversations that I am planning on having and releasing this year with Ian. And if you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend you do so so you can get a feel for who Ian actually is. And if you've ever attended one of our in-person events like our coaching summit in Las Vegas or our player camps in Southern California, there's actually a pretty good chance you've met Ian and you didn't even realize it. Ian has been like a behind-the-scenes guy here at 343 for a few years now. He's helped me research for big podcasts, like when I interviewed Bob Bradley and when I interviewed Dennis Crowley, and he's actually helped develop some of the content for the membership program, specifically some stuff that was in Phase 4 of the membership program. And like me and like many others, Ian has actually been a member of the 343 Coaching Education Program since it first launched. And I just want to remind you guys that it is actually the members, you guys, uh, that actually fund this podcast. So if you are a member in the coaching program, like Ian is, not only are you getting an education that transforms you into a far better coach from the guys that have gone through that transformation themselves and are now considered among the top in the country, but you are also helping sustain and develop this podcast. And if you are not a member and you are wondering what a membership can offer you, it is the complete online resource that will help you reduce your trial and error time and help you get right to the work that matters. You learn the cutting edge training techniques that have been proven to develop better and smarter players, better and smarter teams, and better and smarter coaches. The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you insider access to exclusive videos of training sessions and full games with additional education from ebooks, audio interviews, question and answer sessions, and online forums for networking and collaboration with other 343 coaches from across the nation. To learn more about the program and to explore all the benefits of becoming a member and to help support this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 3, 4, and 3, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this session breakdown podcast with Ian Lane.
Hello? Yo. What's up? Can you hear me fine? I can hear you perfect, yeah. Okay, let me, I gotta turn up mine just a little bit for the recording, and I think we're gonna be all good. All right, cool. Uh, just say, say something, let's see. I need to do a little bit of a sound check. All right. Tell me, tell me what time your practice was and where it was today. Today it was four to five thirty at San Jose City College on the soccer field. All right, cool. All right, all good. Uh, so I looked at your pictures. I can't get one of them to turn around on my computer, so I can't really read it. But it's the one with the whiteboard. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just some. That's some notes on the first session. Okay, cool. The first session as in, let's see, so today is Tuesday, so you're talking about Monday? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Okay, so it looks like 4v0, 4v1, and then it looks like something, something, passing pattern. Zigzag, just a little passing pattern. Like a bicycle? Yeah, like a bicycle, similar, pretty similar to the, to the S pattern. On the, oh, okay. on the on the membership got it and then 5v5 plus 5 yeah number numbers were a little bit different from group to group but same idea I, I saw that on your notes and i wanted to ask you a question about that and then Perfect. last thing just says play yeah play so this was kind of the beginning of a new uh a new phase so just equal teams um only little stipulation i wrote in i think for that one was um if they won the ball in their defensive half, they had to connect three passes before they could attack. Got it. Okay. Um, and then the picture below that one was, I think that was your notes for 5v5 plus 5. And, yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, the next page was, it says phase two, session one. I don't know what, I don't know what that means. So that that's the front page of the training session. That should Got have it. like little details on four v zero and the passing pattern. And I think the back page is the details for five v five plus five and the the scrimmage at the end. Okay, got it. And then the last <coughs> page or the last stuff that you sent me was for individual training sessions, right? Yeah, we I've been doing like a like an extra optional session on Tuesdays, and it's a little bit looser and more yeah more individually focused. And then a little bit of a pickup element at the end where I'll, I'll, I might set up a field, but the team the kids make their own teams and kind of set the rules and referee themselves. Okay. So tell me, tell me what phase two means again. So going back to your uh, Monday session plan. Yeah. So uh, just a, a couple of coach, uh, coaching courses I've been to, I think it's, I don't know if it's the Dutch methodology or what country it comes from, but um, I, I stole it from Franz Hoek. Um, so phase one is like building from your goalkeeper. Phase two is like, you know, consolidating the buildup or basically building up play without your goalkeeper Phase three is creating chances and phase four is finishing chances. And then on the flip side of those, you have kind of how you defend those phases as well. So how do you defend the other team's build up and so on? Got it. Okay. So it looks like you're starting, you're starting to teach your kids, which are, let's see if I can read your notes, right? Oh, sevens and oh, sixes. Yeah, I know. Did your writing's a mess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, se- yeah. Oh, sevens and oh, sixes. So U11s and U12s right now. Okay, so it looks like you're just starting with them on how to build out of the back then. Yes, just just starting to touch on that now. Okay, cool. Um, so and it says session one. So this was literally like your first like session of the new year with them. So 2018. 
uh, actually, so the first session of phase two. So we've been training Got since it. about the first or second week of January. So we had 15 sessions within phase one. Okay. Got and it. Just, uh, we, we've been having some scrimmages with both the 07s and 06s. Um, so I, I kind of do a pretty loose, you know, periodization plan with all four of the phases. Um, I try not to be too strict with it. So I have a chance, you know, to kind of have some wiggle room. Um, but for phase one, so building from the goalkeeper, I've had five or six scrimmages, I think so far with both my teams. And we've been building from our goalkeeper, from goal kicks, from the goalkeeper's hands to a pretty, a pretty decent level. And this is kind of where I had scheduled in to kind of move from phase one to phase two. And based on our performances in the scrimmage, it looks like we're, we're right on schedule for that to kind of move into the next phase and work on, you know, circulating the ball with the, with the back four a little bit more. Okay, cool. Um, I guess a question that pops into my head right away is, is this something that is like club wide? Because I know that Paul is a big uh, advocate for kind of like the way that Franz Hope was, was teaching things. I think the first time I took a, a Franz Hope course was actually, it was when it was at Cal Poly and Paul was the one that organized it. And I know that he's talked about it before. So I'm just curious him being like the, U19 Academy coach and Academy director is, is he the one kind of directing you to teach like this or is this something that you've adopted? Uh, at, at the moment, this is more something that I've adopted. I definitely take a lot of influence from Paul, but everyone kind of has their own way of working with things. And I've, I've kind of organized my, my sessions and organized the season a couple different ways, uh, in the past. So this is kind of one that I've settled on that seems to kind of work the most logically just for how my brain works. And I think for younger players too, kind of moving through things more sequentially is, is a big, it's, it's easier for them to, to learn things, you know, kind of, kind of in that order. You've seen, you've seen Franz present how many times now? I think two or three, two or three times. I'm trying to think. I just went to another course of his recently. Yeah. I think that was just my second one. Um, and then he has a really, really good video on YouTube also that I've watched through a couple times. It's about 90 minutes or so. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit more familiar with his work than, than just seeing him a couple times in person. Do you remember the name of that video or, or maybe you can send me the link to it as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll find the link. It's a, it's a, it's a series on YouTube. I think it's called coaching masterclass and he's episode one. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll try to yank that um link and put that in the write-up for this but I'm, I'm still curious because you didn't find him until if i remember right you didn't go see him present for the first time until last year is that right yeah last summer or maybe a couple summers ago even okay so you had already kind of had this foundation under your belt of you know 4v0 4v1 building out of the back transition into attack attacking patterns you already you'd already kind of been working with something like that so what about this way of doing things or organizing things really kind of captured your attention yeah i mean i i come back a lot to um one of gary's blog posts about just having a limited set of activities to work from um, you need a few on how to build a few on how to attack a few on how to defend and so for a while that was kind of how i kind of organize my my sessions and my thinking was okay are we working on building now are we working on attacking or are we working on defending and then 
yeah, it wasn't just Franz Hoke, but he was kind of the one that introduced it to me more formally. I'd, I'd seen other coaches, you know, tweet about it or blog about it or whatever. Um, I guess what what it appeals for me, the, the main appeal for me, I'm a very like, I guess, organized and sequential person, like in the sense that I, I like having little boxes to work within. Right. So phase one, two, three, four, that kind of appealed to me, just that side of my personality. Um, but just also for kind of the way you move up the field, it, it kind of changes as you as you move up the field and, and having a way to organize that in my head and having a framework in my head that I could then put down on the paper and, and kind of teach to the players that really appealed to me. Um, and then just at this age too, the field is so it's so short, it's so small that that being able to get them to build from the back, it really has to start with the goalkeeper because there's there's so many shots in in 9v9 and 7v7 that to me that's kind of the most important place for us to start from. If we can't build from the goalkeeper, we're not going to be able to consistently get the ball to the defenders in enough space to connect any passes. So kind of starting with, with, with the goalkeeper and then moving up the field and figuring out how to play in different parts of the field. To me, it just made a lot of sense intuitively and it kind of makes it easy to, to organize the sessions as well. Just moving through the different parts of the field. There's a couple of things that, that came to my mind uh, as you were talking and as I'm staring at your, at your notes right now, I remember when you were first getting into coaching and you probably still are the same way. I, I can't imagine you being any different, but you were like a meticulous note taker, but you have horrible penmanship. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'm wondering like, if you go back into those notebooks, if you, if you can even decipher your own writing for some of this I, stuff. I, I, I can a little bit. So my, my, my way out of that one is you know, there's, there's lots of studies that have shown that just the act of taking notes helps you remember things better. Uh-huh, so, uh-huh. Some, <laughs> so sometimes I'll just tell myself that it doesn't matter if they're legible. I'm, I'm learning it anyways. <laughs> now, I, I also remember one of the things that you kind of had a hard time with when you were first, I want to say when you were first coaching the high school girls was kind of being able to get off that script of what was on your, what was on your paper. Like if something didn't, it isn't going to plan and having to adjust to it. Do you feel like you've gotten any better or worse, or if you've, you've kind of come up with ways to, to combat that differently now that you're, what are you, you've been coaching for like five or six years now, right? Uh, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Five or six. So what, what have you learned in that five or six years that, that has kind of helped you, you know, if things, you know, aren't going to go according to plan, um, how, how have you learned to adapt to that? Yeah. So you, you kind of mentioned it looking at the notes earlier. So like when I, when I'm looking and, and planning a session, we use uh, my teams use team snap so we can kind of track availability on there. And I, I try really hard to get the parents to buy into that early because kind of like you mentioned, I like to plan everything. So what is, what is team snap? Team snap. It's like a, it's like an app. You can put your team schedule on there and send emails through it and, and stuff like that. Got it. And then Got the it. players can kind of check in for training and games and you can see who's available for training and games, stuff Got like it. that. Okay. Um, so first I try to get all the parents to, to keep that updated. You know, it doesn't matter if they're sick or why they're missing, they just need to mark it down. And then, um, so I guess the first way I kind of get around things going, not exactly to plan is being flexible with the plan in the first place. So, you know, I'll always write on my, on my training plan. We'll have, you know, 12 to 16 players today because maybe four didn't respond on team snap. So I'm not sure if they're going to be there or not going to be there. Um, and so for the different exercises, if we're doing rondos, for example, if we might need three or four grids, I'll set up four. So 
if there's enough kids to fill up all the grids, then we're set. And if we're not, I don't have to set up anything last minute. Um, and the same thing goes for, for all the scrimmages, for the numbers or for any other possession exercises we do. So I try to, I try to have a plan for if we have the minimum number of players or the maximum or somewhere in between. So I guess knowing, knowing the unknowable helps a little bit in the, in the first part. And then, yeah, as far as adapting, I think a couple of things have, have helped having a better sense of the level of, of the players, you know, whether it's, you know, my U11 team in San Luis Obispo, which is in bronze, my U11 teams up here, which play golden premier, you kind of get a sense for maybe the dimensions or how many defenders you'll need to kind of make a drill successful for the attackers. Um, so things like that. So having a better idea, I guess, of the level and getting things right in the first place has helped me a lot. But um, as far as adjusting, getting better at it, I, I like to have a clear picture in my head of how I want things to go beforehand. So if things aren't happening the way I want them to, I kind of know what, what variables I need to tweak, whether I need to add or take away defensive pressure, make a, make a field or a grid bigger or smaller. So having a clear idea in my head beforehand of how I want things to go. Um, and if it's not matching that vision in my head, I guess, yeah, a lot of it's just been experience, you know, being able to pick out what variables are or are not going the way I want them to. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel like I've been able to adapt to that a little better and, um, I guess a dash of that is just better planning beforehand. And then um, another part of that is, you know, enough experience and a clear enough vision now for each drill uh, or for each exercise or for each game or whatever it is um, to know when things aren't going the way I want them to go, the variables I need to tweak to, to kind of move things along. Yeah. I like, I like how you kind of ended that too, because I think the experience of training a specific exercise or, or, you know, a specific topic kind of gets you more fluent in that and you know exactly what you need to do as a coach or what you're trying to bring out of the players and and that could kind of help guide you instead of just like all right well this isn't going as planned so let's move on to something different and I feel like a lot of coaches kind of get stuck in in that little that little experimental phase where it's like all right well that didn't work so we're going to move on and yeah, definitely. Definitely. And sometimes you might recognize that maybe just the way you set up the drill in the first place, maybe it's not a, a size issue or a, or a number of players issue, but just the way you set it up in the first place was inherently flawed. And I definitely still have those experiences and you, and you go back and figure out what you did wrong and, and you, you fix it for the next time. Yeah. Now I, I want to kind of not pick apart your, your um, session, but just like talk about your session kind of step by step. And I want to say right now that I, I, all I did was ask you to send me a picture of the session. So it's not like we're cherry picking anything like this, but, mm-hmm. um, but the first thing in your training session is four V zero, four V one, which also happens to be a three, four, three exercise and something I know that you have been doing for, for quite a while. So it's, I'm actually kind of not surprised to see that this is the first thing on your, on your training session for, for this week. Um, so Tell me a little bit about like what you're trying to accomplish with your 4v0, 4v1 with this group now that you're changing from like phase one to phase two, according to your, uh, your way of uh, categorizing your sessions. Yeah, so whenever we set our new season, I, I like to start with, with 4v0 and 4v1 and maybe progress to 3v1 later in the season. Um, but I guess what we're trying to accomplish right now is just kind of the basics of playing passes and receiving passes. So like a couple of the stipulations I start off with early in the season, um, you can't play across the middle. So you can only play to your left and your right. 
and um, everything has to be two touches. You can't take one touch. You can't take three. Um, and so the main thing is I'm trying to get out of that in the beginning of the season, whether it's, you know, new players or just kind of getting everyone back into the swing of things after a break is receiving across their body and then playing hard passes. So if they have to take two touches, that means the guy playing him the ball has to hit the ball hard enough to give him time to receive uh, and take two touches. So that's kind of the main thing we're getting at. And especially when you're, when you're building the ball out of the back, taking two touches is super important because the passes are going to be hard. So you don't risk giving the ball away in front of your goal and receiving across your body is super important because it, when there's, when it's the right time to play forward, the players have to be able to see their options and, and connect that pass as quickly as possible. Um, so those are kind of the two kind of main technical things I've been looking to get out of it. And uh, for, for this group, so they started last season doing this as well in about late August, September, something like that. Um, and I think the grids we were playing with at the time were something like nine by nine yards, maybe even 10 by 10 at one point. So they were giant. And now the 06s and 07s are both playing in five by five yard grids. So kind of increasing the speed of play a little bit. Passes need to be harder. Control needs to be better. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of the main things I'm looking to get out of it. And then um, most of my sessions, even with whether it was phase one, now moving to phase two, we're still starting with 4v0 and 4v1. Um, it's nice to have something consistent for them when they arrive to training because it kind of lets you get into the flow right away. You don't have to explain the setup. You don't have to show them where all the balls go or what happens when the ball leaves the grid. So keeping that consistent, even, you know, from last season for the last six months, it's been an activity we've started probably upwards of 95% of our trainings with having that consistency has been really good too, because it kind of allows us to get off to a quick start without having to explain a lot. I think you responded to something that somebody asked on Twitter, uh, last week, maybe, but somebody, somebody asked, how, how do you spice things up or how do you keep the kids from getting bored? And, and I think you had a good comment. Do you remember what you said? Yeah. Um, I mean, you can keep the, the, the basics the same, but you can adjust, you know, different parts of the exercise without changing it too fundamentally. So you can make it smaller, you can make it bigger. Um, a couple other things I've had success with for four V one, um, a couple weeks ago working on like the phase one stuff, um, one of the things that we weren't doing well enough was just defensive intensity was, was really low from whether it was the forwards pressing or it was our back line kind of shrinking after they lost the ball. So to kind of hammer that point home, we did the exact same drill, 4v1, changed nothing, but the defenders had to win two balls before they could get out of the grid. So it gave each defender oh, a little, okay. yeah, just, you know, an, ex an extra defensive rep when they got in the middle. And that way they had to really earn their way out. You know, maybe there would just be a bad pass and they'd get out after a couple passes um, so this way they, it kind of made them focus a little bit more on the defending when they were inside the grid to have to win an extra ball. So, I mean, something like that and everyone's eyes light up and they're defending with a little bit of extra intensity every time, you know, so that's, that's been one way I can tweak it. Um, another one, you know, two touch mandatory for a lot of teams. I, I don't see a lot of other teams doing two touches are mandatory. So if your team doesn't usually do something like that, that's kind of an interesting way to, to spice it up. Or for my guys, they're going to be really excited when we start playing one or two touch inside that. And, and that'll add a little fresh impetus. And I mean, playing in the tiny little five by five grid, um, whereas a couple of weeks ago it was six by six, just pointing that out to them. Everyone's eyes got big again and, you know, the, the ball moved a little bit faster. So <laughs> yeah, just, just changing little stuff like that works. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a million little different things you can do. Another one that we'll do if we have like um, 
a really small group of training, say like seven or eight kids. So not quite enough for two grids. We'll divide them into two teams and do like a little relay. So after they win a ball on defense, they have to run out and tag the next guy in line and the next guy has to run in and win a ball. So you can do it a million different ways um, and kind of tweak small things. So it's, it feels like a different exercise to them. They have a little fresh impetus, but you don't have to waste time explaining what happens if you lose the ball or if you win it or how many touches can you take? So it, yeah, I guess those, those are a couple of variables that come to mind. You can tweak to kind of keep things fresh. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. I like it. Um, and then I'm, I'm really curious how you tie this into kind of the rest of the session. So is this just a warm up, or do you actually start teaching in the four V zero four V one, like what that the theme is for that training session or for like that block of training that whether it's a week or a month or two months, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it'll, it'll usually be little details that I'll touch on again later in a session. So like I mentioned, um, when one of our issues was just basic defensive intensity, that's when I would really, you know, you can tweak a rule and make the defenders win the ball twice. You can also show them, you know, different little defensive aspects, whether it's leaving certain passing options uh, open so you can pressure them or even just defensive body shape or how to tackle with your whole body instead of just sticking a foot out. So tying that into something you'll touch on later. So for this session, the main focus was just on uh, good body shape and, and hard passes um, over, especially kind of longer distances. Um, for once we're circulating the ball, um, each pass is going to be closer to maybe 15 or 20 yards for goal kicks. The passing distance was a little bit shorter um, so kind of getting the players used to hitting hard passes and, and still receiving across their body. So for this session, I don't know if I wrote it down, but I think I added the stipulation that if they connected 10 passes, 15 passes, something like that, if they did that, the defenders would stay in for an extra round. Um, so a big focus for us today, um, especially for 5v5 plus 5, was opening up the field and just keeping the ball moving, keeping the ball moving away from pressure. So for that to happen, the players will need to receive across their body hard passes so just just basics for possession stuff but that was kind of a big focus uh in the rondos and yeah you can focus on defensive aspects offensive ones there's a lot of stuff you can focus on but yeah i'll usually keep the the exercise pretty much the same from day to day but maybe the the advice i'm giving or whatever um, i'm praising or whatever i'm really coming down hard on the players uh for for messing up maybe that will be kind of the focus later in the practice so kind of getting them in that mindset um, in the rondos. All right. So let's, let's connect the dots then. So how, how do you transition from the four V zero four V one to what kind of mimics like a, like a bossico or like a, like a basic passing pattern? Uh, I think you labeled it zigzag passing pattern and it just, yeah, yeah it basically just looks like a, like a zigzag passing pattern. I can kind of see your dimensions. Uh, looks like 15 or 20 yards, maybe depending on the age group. Um, but a little bit of dribbling, but mostly just kind of long passes over, over distance. Yeah. So actually kind of hidden in that, um, is kind of the spacing we want for the back four to circulate. Ah, uh, so I've, I actually, <laughs> I, I remember when you used to tell me like, Oh, I'm not really into that hiding stuff. Yeah. I, that's definitely <laughs> something I stole from you. <laughs> I, I remember that. Okay. Remember go on, that. go on. Yeah. So, uh, so when I, when I say back four, we play nine V nine. So a back four for us is, uh, a left back, a right back, a center back, and a holding mid. So that's kind of the spacing for that. So this is this is a super basic pattern that I can kind of see us using for a couple of weeks. Like I said, just uh, 
you know, the, the main thing is to kind of work on hard passes over a distance of about 20 yards, just hitting the correct foot, receiving with the correct foot, playing the passes correctly. I think it's, we just did it for 10 minutes or so. So kind of a quick little one. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the angles and the distances are set up to kind of mimic our back four moving the ball across the field, which I didn't really tell the players at this point, but we just went from the rondos, picked everything up and set them all out on the cones. Um, they ended up touching the ball. I think, you know, every, every 10 seconds or so with the numbers we had and the number of stations we had moving from one side to the other. Um, but the big focus was just on receiving and playing two touches again, over kind of a, a longer distance, about 20 yards, um, just to get, just to kind of get the ball moving in kind of a, kind of a bigger space. So for a lot of our goal kick stuff, the passes were a little bit shorter, the ball moved uh, over a smaller distance. So getting them to kind of open up the field with, with longer passes to get us out from one side to the other was kind of the main focus for that little passing pattern. I feel like th these are both exercises that you used with your team when you were in San Luis Obispo. And, and that team was, let's see, those were mainly 05s, 06s, 07s as well, right? Yeah, yeah, 06s and 07s with uh, okay. under the new age group. Okay, so the but that was like three, almost three years ago though, or two years ago. So the kids were a lot younger. So they were only like mm -hmm. eight and nine and 10 years old when you were working with them, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are or what have been some of the main differences now that you've moved to San Jose and you're working with basically the same age group, but the players are like a year or two older? Yeah, so the the spacing's a little bit different. They can hit harder passes over longer distances. Um, that's part of it. Um, this group is, like I said, my group in San Luis Obispo was competing at uh, a bronze level. These teams are competing at gold and premier levels in NorCal. So they can handle a little bit more defensive pressure when we're working on attacking. Um, and then vice versa, they can handle a little bit more offensive pressure uh, when we're working on more defensive stuff. So the level of play is a little bit higher. The speed of play, um, the quality of their first touch, the quality of their passing, all that's, uh, all that's a little bit higher now. So the demands uh, that I've been trying to place on the players are a little bit higher um, in regards to that. So, you know, rondos are smaller, spaces are tighter. Um, yeah, just, just stuff like that. So it's the same basic ideas and a lot of the same exercises, but maybe I'll, I'll make the grids a little bit smaller than we did in the past or maybe the passing patterns in this one, for example, are a little bit longer than, uh, than I would have worked with in, in San Luis Obispo also. What, what did you have to change or, or do differently as a coach? What did, what did you realize? Like maybe moving from that bronze to gold level with basically the same age group and only, I think you actually just, you just moved right away to that, I think to that level. So yeah. what were some, what were some of the things that maybe you had to play catch up with or that you had to kind of get on, get on their level with? Yeah. The, the biggest thing I noticed uh, was the level of defensive intensity. So players were, you know, probably a little bit more athletic as well. So they can cover ground a little bit faster. Um, but I kind of got into my first couple games with my teams and I just noticed how kind of sluggish we were defensively. So it might have been, you know, too much of a focus on on passing and attacking uh, in training. And I maybe I wasn't focused enough on kind of the defensive side of the game. So for me, that's been that's been a big one to focus on a lot more, whether that's in transition or even just, you know, more more general like set defending when we've been out without the ball for for a little while. So that's been something I've had to adjust a little bit more um, and then kind of simultaneously 
planning more in terms of whether it's set pieces, building out from goal kicks, different circulation patterns, you know, having, having, having to think of more things ahead of time and having to throw a little bit more uh, at the players ahead of time um, while simultaneously giving them a little bit more variability in training, if that makes sense. I, I have to plan more, but I have to give them uh, a little bit more of a chance in training to kind of find solutions. So one thing that I was really, really big on with my teams in San Luis Obispo that I've moved away from a little bit was like a lot of set passing patterns and um, a lot of like heavily restricted small-sided games. Um, and I found that I, I kind of have to have those same ideas and kind of have the same strict sense of, of planning and evaluating games and analyzing games and analyzing solutions. I have to have that same you know, strictness on my end. But then when, we're, when we build it into training, I have to give the players um, kind of a chance to, to show me what they've got a little bit more. And um, it's, it's helped a lot to kind of get some games under my belt at this level over the last you know, five or six months. So I have a better sense of, I guess, what works in games and what doesn't. Um, so for example, we worked on you know, building from the goalkeeper last season as well. That was the first thing we, we started working on in training. And it was pretty sloppy for the first you know, several weeks as, as, you know, as mainly I had to adjust to, to the level of play and the level of opposition. And we've had five or six scrimmages with both my teams already this season. And it's been really, really clean from both my 07 teams and both my 06 teams, kind of how we build out of the back. So to me, that's kind of, it, it kind of shows that I've been able to adjust my, my training methodology a little bit and um, give the players a little bit more responsibility, I guess, at training. I want, I want you to walk me through your, I guess, kind of newer version of like an attacking pattern or a set passing pattern. Yeah. So I'll, uh, usually what we'll do is, is start off with something fairly strict. So this, the zigzag pattern, um, a few weeks ago, we would do goal kicks where, um, the players would just play in whatever position they were outside backs would get reps doing the same thing over and over again, um, dropping back to support the center back when they, when they received a short pass. So we would do that over and over and over again. Um, maybe maxing out at 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 20 minutes max. Um, and then after that, move into, um, I actually stole this word from you, from, uh, from your Barcelona podcast, move into goal kick waves. Uh, um, nice. So, yeah. So d depending on the numbers, um, if we could towards the end, I would try to run full team goal kick waves. So it would be, you know, all nine players on the field. And I think in the past, what I would have done for another 20 minutes is just run them completely unopposed. So nine V zero, maybe nine V one scoring on the other goalkeeper. And what I've found now is a little bit more effective is to run the whole team out there against four defenders, five defenders, maybe four, four or five defenders with the goalkeeper on the other side and kind of let them run through and, and give them more of a chance to find the pattern for themselves um, or, or come up with another solution. You know, so to me, I think in San Luis Obispo and uh, even with the, with the Rigetti girls, I would have wanted to, to run things exactly how I planned them and, and not deviate from that and, make the players find the solutions the way I spelled them out for them. Um, and I think I've, I think I still need to have that same kind of level of strictness, I guess, in my own coaching and, and look and, and see what the solutions are on the field through video and just watching the games go. Um, but then kind of give the players a chance to kind of find out how to work it out for themselves. Do you remember when, when we were had the Rigetti girls 
And if they would mess something up, I I would kind of just say like, make it work. Yeah. I, I definitely have stolen that too. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was kind of like a way of, I guess I I'm, I'm thinking about it now. I'm just trying to like think back in my head, like, eh, like what did I used to do? But I think that was m- more of my way of, of let, letting them kind of find the right solution. Like if they made a bad pass or received it the wrong way or the ball hit a bad bump or something like that. And it wasn't going to, exactly according to plan then it's like okay we'll make it work you know like mm-hmm. you, that that shouldn't ruin everything if you guys make one you know play or one pass that didn't follow the right sequence well you know it, the world's not going to end so mm-hmm. find a way to still make it work and go attack the other goal um but i like i like what you're saying about you know adding in like four or five defenders because they're still able to kind of you know feel confident enough to keep the ball and move the ball around at their own at their own pace but they can kind of still explore and find what you want them to look for so i feel like it's kind of like a best of both worlds solution yeah yeah i i find a lot of success with that on the on the goal kick waves for for this season have have you experimented at all with like adding more defenders or taking away um i guess i'm trying to think of the way that I saw it done last year. So I think it would be, yeah, maybe just making it kind of just instead of like big numbers up like that, like just having one number up. So if you were playing uh, with nine players, you would play nine versus eight. And then if you wanted to kind of restrict the amount of defenders that were on the field, then you would go eight versus seven or seven versus six. Does that make yeah, any sense? I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've done that. I, I found at this age group, I kind of have to get, I have to get every player a repetition, you know, once every couple rounds. So maybe they can set out for one round, but it, they need to kind of be in the next round just to keep them focused and, and keep them working in. So um, I've, I've definitely done it with, with bigger numbers. I was just reviewing some training the other day of where we did goal kick waves, but we had, I think, full 9v9 on the field. So every, every time the ball went out, no matter what the situation was, throw in, corner kick, you know, whatever it was, we'd always restart with a goal kick. And that got tough after a while. Um, I noticed it um, a little bit at training, but it really became clear in the video. The defensive team could just creep way, way up more, a lot more than they normally would uh, in a game. So it becomes tough to kind of exactly mimic the opposition when your team knows exactly what's coming. So if you keep the defense numbers down, even if they figure out or if they know exactly where the ball is going, um, the offensive team still has a little bit of a chance for success. So I've definitely done it with other numbers, depending on how many we have at training. Like if we have only 13 kids at training, then yeah, we've, we've definitely done like seven V six. Um, but I, I kind of try to, to make the numbers big enough so that every kid's involved at, at the very least every other rep. Got it. And I, ex- I explained that terribly. And, and as you're, as you were kind of giving me the answer, I was remembered where I heard it or where I saw it presented and it was Raymond Verheijen actually. And I, I did no justice of explaining <laughs> how he uh, how he taught the subject. So if you want more information on that, you can go visit <laughs> go visit his stuff because I'm not going to try to do it again. I'd butcher it again. Are, is that kind of like what what I mean? You've seen. I'm sure Francois always does this slide because I've seen it at both of his where he'll go through like, hey, this is the 11 v 11 scenario. You want your center backs to cover the striker. This is how you do it. 11 v 11. This is how you do it. 99. Like we're, we're like starting with a game situation and then slowly cycling down the numbers. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Uh, I think starting with a, with a situation and then kind of uh, forcing or setting up your team to kind of uh, see. I'm going to butcher it again. 
you're, you're trying to get them to do certain things. And so you're going to take out specific players in order to enhance that one thing that you're trying to highlight. So like, if you want, if you really oh, wanted okay. to focus, yeah, yeah. if, if, if you really wanted to focus on, you know, like your midfield triangle, then, okay, what player do you take away? So that more focus goes there, that type of thing. And yeah. then it was, okay. and it was always a, it was always a numbers up game. Cause you always wanted the, wherever the emphasis was supposed to be, you always wanted them to have a number up so that way they could find success. Yeah. That was, okay. that was kind of the gist of it. So actually one, so one thing I've been doing kind of like that, it's not, it's not in terms of numbers of players, but kind of conditioning them to do certain things. Um, so one thing we've been working on, we've been working on goal kick patterns, like short a lot. Um, but then obviously if a team watches you play short goal kicks the whole game, they're going to push everyone up to try and pressure those. Um, so we had to work on some long ones too, and, and still doing it with some choreography and shifting players over certain ways and looking for certain passes. Um, so one thing we would do when we did uh, like nine V five, so there'd be four players pressuring the goal kicks and then uh, against the full team. If the other team uh, could take away all the initial short passing options, um, I would, I would give them points for that. So maybe they'd get five for a goal, but they'd get three points if they made the other team kick a goal kick long. Just for they didn't have to win the ball, they didn't have to do anything like that, um, because we want. I wanted to get reps working on taking them, uh, taking longer ones as well. And so the way that I've trained the forwards to pressure goal kicks, we always want the other team to play it short, so we have a chance to win it high up the field. So if I left them to their own devices, they would always let the other team play the first pass short. Um, but since we wanted to work on long ones as well. I had to reward the uh, the team pressuring. I had to reward them if they forced the other team to kick it long. So is that is that kind of similar? Uh, I I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think I I think I still didn't give any justice to how Raymond sets that up. So, uh, but I I definitely understand what you're saying about how you're trying to utilize something different for your goal kicks as well, which I think is an awesome idea. So, um. Which is funny because I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast, but I know that I've talked with Brian about it, and maybe it was for something that's in the membership because we do Q and A's in the membership, mm -hmm. and he talked a little bit about how LA Galaxy they had to, yeah, they had to change the way that they were building out of the back because other teams were figuring out like how to press them. You know, when the teams are getting to ages of like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, it's like they're not playing against little kids anymore. But now, you know, the Galaxy guys, like, yeah, now they can they can hit longer passes. They're not little kids anymore either. So they can hit balls to like, you know, midfield or wherever they need to go. But they, they kind of designed a, a, a pattern, I guess you could say that kind of brought, brought, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it would have been Alex Mendez. Uh, it kind of brought Alex Mendez out of the midfield and he kind of transitioned to like a left back position. But the way that they did it, they kind of disguised it in like this lazy kind of like, oh yeah, like we're not going to play short. We're all just going to kind of jog up towards midfield. And then Alex would just kind of slide out to the left. And I remember watching it in person and they played the goalkeeper played the ball to Alex. And at the very same time that Alex was kind of moving out to the left-hand side and receiving it and looking forward up the field, Ephra was playing as like a kind of like a false nine, I guess you could say, or like a, like a kind of like a forward that was just kind of playing a little bit more deeper in the midfield. But Ephra made this badass run up the field. And Alex was, a, he played a left footed ball that just met Ephra at the right time, just going forward and it was like, okay, so if you guys want to press us high, okay, well, we can do this to you now too. So it was just kind of like a, 
like a, a the team evolving i guess was a is a good way to put it like yeah everybody had kind of figured out that these guys like to play short okay now they can also play long so what are you going to try to take away you can't take away everything exactly where where are you going to where are you going to give up space and so the team started to give up space again short so they just played short the rest of the game yeah yeah tangent sorry but good exact story time. same <laughs> ex- exact same thought process i went through though exactly yeah. all right so let's uh let's keep picking away at your uh at your training session so i think we're all into right. uh i think we're into a three team game now and so i asked you earlier like some stuff about how you've learned to adapt to what's not on your paper, I guess. But you did a really good job of planning out <laughs> pretty much everything when it came to this. <laughs> so you have 5v5 plus 5 written down on your paper, but then you have different sets of numbers. So like, oh, if you only had 12, all right, 4v4 plus 4. If you had 13, 4v4 plus 5, I think is what you said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 14 players, 5v5 plus 4. So you had all kinds of different scenarios kind of planned out for who shows up or what showed up or... Yeah, so walk me through like what what the five v five plus five actually is, and and how it ended up playing out for you at practice. Yeah, so it's it's a really basic three team possession exercise. Uh, so there's two teams battling for possession in the middle, and then there's a team of neutrals around the outside. And then if you have five players, uh, there'd be one in the middle. So you'd have one neutral on each side of the square, and then one in the center. Um, if if you're playing, you know, five v five plus five. So the dimensions, that was something else I kept a little bit flexible and I kind of had to eyeball it when I got out there, just depending on what the numbers looked like. I think for the 07s, we had 5v5 plus 4 and we played in like a 30 by 30 grid. Um, so th- the main thing I was looking for in that exercise, it's, it's one they've done before, a lot of the kids, but not all of them. Um, and the main focus that I really hammered home was offense and transitions. So one thing that I kind of found when trying to build a possession-based team, what you do the moment you win the ball back is one of the most important moments consistently in games. Um, So just getting the kids focused on the guy that wins the ball back or once you guys win the ball back, just connect the first easiest pass you can find. So that was a big focus in the 5v5 uh, plus 5 for us. And then, hey, once you've connected that first pass, that gives your whole team time to open up. And then the next guy who gets the ball, he'll have a little bit more time and space and he can kind of look to open up the field now and get us – you know, if we want it on the left side of the field, he can help us get out to the right side of the field or maybe find the guy who gets us out. Um, so that was that was the big focus in that game. And then just uh, each team in the middle, they got points for connecting a certain number of passes. I think we did eight passes and that worked out OK, where, you know, there was enough moments that they got eight passes together and, and could score points, but not so many that it was it was too easy for them. Um inside the grid so yeah the, the main thing the main focus on that was just winning that first ball defensively and then giving your team time to open up by just connecting a simple pass how how often do you use something like this or how often do you use this exact exercise and and, uh, and how new was it for most of these players i guess is another question probably 75 percent of the kids have, have done this the same exercise before um, again, the dimensions are quite a bit smaller than last season. Last season, we would play this in like a 40 by 40 grid, something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I kind of have it loosely penciled in um, to do it training probably through this week and then um, through the through the start of next week as well. Okay. And one, one thing I want I want you to kind of give your thoughts on too, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of the coaches listening 
uh, might be aware of this, but there there's probably a handful that don't uh, that don't know what changing the dimensions of the grid can do for the players and even for the coach as well. So, what's the difference between having a forty yard grid and a thirty yard grid in this exercise? I mean, for for me, I kind of like looking at the raw math of it. <laughs> so thirty times thirty, so that's nine hundred square feet. Forty times forty. Oh Jesus! What do you what? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that sixteen hundred square feet. So when you think about it, just make making it ten yards smaller on each side, you know, pretty drastically reduces the amount of space in it. <laughs> so that that's I, I kind of like to do that in my head for the for the four v one rondos a lot. So going from a ten by ten grid and and telling the parents about it too. Going from a ten by ten grid to a five by five grid. I mean, it's it's a pretty drastic. It's it's drastically less space for the players. But yeah, what what it does is is everything has to happen faster now. So you know, in a, in a lot of exercises, I'll still add touch restrictions. You know, it has to be two touch, has to be one touch, whatever. Um, but if you can do that a little bit more organically by by reducing the space, everything gets a little bit quicker. So the attackers have to think quicker. Their touch has to be cleaner. Um, they have to make decisions before they get the ball reactions and transitions whether you whether you lose the ball or win the ball back have to be that much cleaner to keep your team from having to run around and chase the ball defensively so yeah i mean changing the dimensions is is huge and, and like i said it, it helps keep things fresh you know if in a if you know next session everyone's connecting 25 passes in a row every time they get the ball and in, in this same exact uh, exercise then i probably need to need to shrink the 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 dimensions quite a bit just to keep everything transitioning and to get both teams in possession of the ball and, and really challenge the team in possession. So starting, so starting this season, this new season in 2018 with a smaller grid than you did last season. Um, did you feel pretty confident doing that? And what yeah. made you feel that way? A hundred percent. Well, so one, one little thing to point out is that uh, we're on turf for since since Jan, since uh, January the last season we started on grass so that makes a big difference for the players for a lot of the rondo stuff um, a lot of the keepaway exercises but then yeah I mean just just kind of watching them develop and when I feel like things are getting too easy you know try shrinking things here and there but yeah it it, it feels good and like I said for me having like the actual numbers for the 4v1 rondos on, on how much they've uh, shrunk since last season that's kind of good for me to have in my head and that's kind of a good thing to relate to the parents to to kind of let them know when they see us doing the same exercise every day, it's, it's really not the same when you're working in a five by five grid versus a, a 10 by 10 grid. But it's also, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely evidence for development as well that they can handle more pressure in a smaller space. Got it. Got it. Um, and then, so all this, all this uh, training that you guys did on Monday kind of led into a scrimmage. And I think you said that your scrimmage has like a pickup element to it and that, I really wanted not, to not on not on Monday. Not on Monday. Ah, not on Monday. Okay. So you're talking about your individual training today. sessions. Yeah, then. today, Tuesday. Got it. Okay. So then what does your scrimmage look like then at the end of this practice? So it looks like you guys went for about an hour and a half in each session. So mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh what the scrimmage looked like, um I'm trying to think. Should let me put my notes in front of me. That'll probably help me. <laughs> Perfect. So we had, I think, for both sessions. Something like 66 plus two, something like that, somewhere around those numbers. Um, so I wanted to make sure we had one team building uh, into building out from a regular goal and finishing into small pug goals, and then the other team attacking the goal. 
Um, so even though we moved from phase uh, phase one to phase two, so you know, in theory, moving away from building from the goalkeeper, I still want to make sure that we're getting some reps on goal kicks at training. So that's why I have one team building from a goalkeeper, and I made sure I, I had a, a full back four in there. I made sure that whenever they were in possession, they'd have two wingers as well because the wingers, their positioning, whether it's uh, out wide or inside, that's important for our goal kicks as well. So when I set up the scrimmage, I wanted to make sure that one team always had the chance to build out from goal kicks. And we saw the chance to kind of work that in. Um, and then the other team, it varied from the 06 to the 07 training. Um, they ended up with, yeah, five or six guys. So playing our, our game shape as, as much as we could with the numbers. So I think they had uh, a back three and then like a, a holding mid, a striker. And then for, for this session, I had the wingers as neutrals. Um, reason being, so a big focus in the passing pattern, a big focus in 5v5 plus 5 is being able to receive the ball across your body um, to, to open up options on the far side of the field. So by having the wingers neutral, um, there'd always be an offensive option open on the other side, and the wingers wouldn't have to worry about tucking in uh, defensively. They could kind of stay wide the whole time and you know only move inside with the ball or make an off-the-ball run if they saw a big gap. Um, but by having those guys as neutrals in, in that scrimmage, um, it kind of, you know, it, it naturally followed that the team in possession, they would, they would greatly benefit from moving the ball from one side of the field to the other, receiving across their body, hitting kind of longer passes to open up the field. So that's kind of how I had the scrimmage playing out in my head. And how'd it go? It went really well. It went really, uh, it went really well. Um, another thing I kind of wanted to focus on for building from goal kicks was kind of having the, the wingers staying wide once they did build up from our goal. Um, I, I kind of had the dimension set up so that the team building out of the regular goal into the pug goals would be arriving at around the halfway line. So we wanted to make sure we opened up the whole field at that point. Um, so yeah, it went, it went really well. There was, uh, I mean, three or four moments where one team would get the ball, open up, connect three or four passes, open it up to the far side of the field and then have a really good chance to score. So it went really well. for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast thank you to ian lane for graciously spending a uh, an hour and a half with me the other night on the phone and like i said this was split up into two different parts so if you haven't listened to part one make sure you go and listen to that you can find that on 343coaching.com this was part two and i'm going to try to convince ian to come back on the show again for uh, another series of podcast episodes so i hope that you stay tuned and i hope that you enjoy listening to ian talk about his sessions and about his trajectory as a as a young coach here in the united states uh just a reminder that if you're looking for a way to support this podcast this podcast is supported and funded by the 343 coaching education program and you can find out more about that program and all the benefits that come with it by visiting 343coaching.com that's the numbers three four and three coaching all spelled out dot com all right thank you guys for listening and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast